Kyle. Thanks so much for joining us on Speaking of Making Healthcare Work for You. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta. And today we welcome Peter Hayes, who is the CEO and president of the Healthcare Purchaser Alliance of Maine. Peter, thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you. We are talking about price transparency today for healthcare. And first question I want to ask you, you had a retail background and then you moved into the healthcare purchasing. So tell us a little bit about what you saw between your retail career and then moving into healthcare. It's a long-winded answer to the question, but I've, I've kind of worn many hats. I was in public accounting for a while, so and I was, on, I was in a retail environment about half my career was accounting finance controller. Um, and I was tapped on the shoulder to go down to HR to do healthcare. And what absolutely shocked me about healthcare is we were spending as a company about $60 million a year on healthcare and had absolutely no information about where were the dollars going, what were we buying. And I just compare that to when actually the entity I'm at now, I had started with some others about 25 years ago saying, gee, as as you know, employers trying to provide healthcare, should we have information? And the example I used in the supermarket business, which is extremely competitive, extremely low margin, we actually have people in the company that make their living determining where they're going to put product on the shelves. And for what a secret for people that are shopping supermarkets, if you shop the right-hand aisle at eye level, those are the products that are the most profitable. And that's what we want you to buy because most people like to reach just straight out. They don't like to reach up or down. So we actually had that level of information about where to put product, what the margins were. In healthcare, I was asking the same questions and we had no information. We just were writing a check every month. So we started an entity in the state of Maine saying we really want to work on understanding we can't manage something until you have the information to manage it. So that was the starting. And you had some unorthodox methods. When you and I talked before on a prep call, you said that you actually priced some stuff overseas and ended up being able to get the U.S.-based companies then to incre- uh, better their prices based on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think part of what I found pretty quickly is that, and this is a conversation about transparency and other things, what I found pretty quickly is the variation, and actually it goes back to some work done at Dartmouth, and it was called the Dartmouth Atlas. But at that point in time, for 30 years, the Institute of Medicine and the Dartmouth Atlas said there is unwarranted variation in cost and quality across the U.S. health system. And really, if, 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 you know, this kind of dates me going back to the Clinton Eastwood movie, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, the good is you can get really good care in the U.S. The bad is so many people do not. And the ugly is there is really poor quality care in the country. And most people will say we have the best healthcare system. We're ranked actually 55th in the world. We're between Costa Rica and Cuba for total health outcomes, but we spend three to four times more. So what I started to look at, and, and to get to your example that you just said, we, we were a company that was self-insured. We paid every single claim that came in the door. And I always had a mantra that, you know, we want to make sure our, our people got the right care at the right place at the right price. And that mantra really was about 50% of the time in the U.S., you're not getting the right care. When you go for a diagnosis it is almost a roll the dice whether you're going to get the right diagnosis or not. Which hospital door you walk into, LeapFrog has done this. They rate hospitals A to F. 
If you go into a hospital rated C or below, you have an 88% higher chance of dying just by walking in the door. So which hospital you go to makes a huge difference in the quality of care. And then the price side, prices across the country for medical services vary seven or eight fold. So a good example of what you just referenced, we are working with an employer, the state of Maine itself, that when they looked at what they were paying for hip and knee replacements in Maine, it varied 650% across their populations. They were paying 25,000 in some cases and 200,000 in other cases. So to get to your example, yes, we had, we were self-insured. We had an older gentleman that violated all three of those right place, right care, right, right facility. Um, older gentleman should never have had a hip replacement in the first place. He had so many other health issues. It wasn't a good candidate. He went to the wrong hospital. The hospital had the highest infection rate in the state and the highest cost in the hip failed three times. And so we ended up paying a million dollars for that one care episode. And I started asking hospitals about how can that be? Is there, can we talk about it? And they really say, we're really not interested. I spent some time traveling overseas, went to Singapore, spent some time in Singapore and found in the Singapore health system Everybody has data. Every, no matter where you enter the health system, everybody knows your complete medical record. At that point in time, they were doing hip and knee replacements for $10,000, guaranteed and warranted for a year. So I came back to our hospitals and said, look, you know, here's, here's an opportunity where our average cost is about, at that point, it's about $100,000 for a procedure. And I said, gee, here's, you know, Singapore is willing to do this. You know, are you interested? And they said, no. We put a benefit design in place for our employees saying, hey, if you want to go to Singapore, we'll pay 100%. We'll pay all of your costs. We'll pay all the travel costs. We'll pay for significant other to travel with you. Put it in place. The Wall Street Journal picked up the article. And the next day I had calls from hospitals all over the country. But more importantly, one of the hospitals in our community called and said, we will match the deal. And we said, well, gee, we need to give us the quality information that you haven't given us. And they did. And we ended up doing most of our knee replacements and hip replacements at that facility. So that was just an example of really trying to use the market to really change some of the dynamics. That's really fascinating, Peter. So uh, I, I love this story and it reminds me so much of what Walmart, Lowe's and other purchasing yeah. groups have done. So is it similar to what they're doing? Is it like a center of excellence model that you're developing? Or how do you identify which uh, facilities to work with? And yes, we are now working with a startup venture capital company out of California called Carum Health. And their model is, is they actually go in and not only credential at the individual facility level, they actually get the clinical outcomes by surgeons. And that's really important because we have a facility in Maine that if you look at traditional consumer information that rates them above average for knee replacements, when you actually look at the clinical outcomes, you have, they have six or so, you know, orthopedic surgeons. They have three that are rock stars. I mean, they have three that are some of the best in the country. They also have three that are not so much. So that model really says it, the, the surgeon is just as important as the facility for the outcome. And yes, they have set up centers of excellence. They do it for a bundled price, a guaranteed price, and it's warranted for a period of time. And where it's warranted and where folks go, 
they haven't had readmissions for complications or poor procedures. Quality's better, but more importantly, you know, if you look at the net promoter score of most of the health plans, which is what is the patient experience with the care, they're in the single digits. With this program with Carum, it's in the high 90s. And what happens is there's a concierge that's attached to the patient that navigates them all through the process. They sit and they have a, the patient has a consult with the surgical team. And what they're finding is, this is echoed by Walmart and Lowe's, 30%, well, 23% of the time for hips and knees, when the patient actually taught, when, they, when they've been referred for a procedure, when they actually talk to the orthopedic surgeons and they suggest you may not be a good candidate, you may want to try more conservative treatments, about 23% of the time, the patient elects not to have the procedure done. In the case of spinal procedures, it's 50% of the time. So it is a much better care experience, but it is also not having the patient undergo procedures that could be risky and could have a bad outcome. Is this for big ticket items then pretty much, Peter? Like the things that people could wait on and have electively or, or how far down does this go? How many, how many different kinds of conditions could be covered this way? You know, since we've started with Karen, they've, they've expanded, they're across the country now. Um, I think there are well over about 100 procedures they can do this way, but you're absolutely right. It's not the emergency procedures. It's not someone that's having that emergency heart attack. These are things that can be scheduled. And, and there's you know, a lot of joints. Um, there's a lot of musculoskeletal, the back, the backs especially, but they're now developing modules for cancers and other things. And going back to that, back to my right care, I mean, several years ago, for cancer. So any employer in the top three costs will be cancers, heart disease, and musculoskeletal. So this is a solution for BACs that are the centers of excellence. But for cancer care now, and now these centers of excellence are expanding to cancer care, we put a program in place where we had, it was just once a patient was diagnosed with cancer, their treating oncologist could have a consult with a peer at Dana-Farber. The outcome of that, and again, this was about 15 years ago, is about 90% of the time the local oncologists had it wrong. And the way it broke out is about a third of the time, the local oncologists did not have the right stage or type of cancer. So that means anything that happens downstream is not going to be the optimal thing for the patient. And they go through a lot of pain and suffering costs. Um, so a third of the time, it was the wrong stage or type of cancer. In two thirds of the time, they weren't following the, the, the agreed upon best protocols for that particular type of cancer. So second opinions, I think you're gonna ask later on, what can a person do is really think about when you're facing complex procedures, get a second opinion because the outcomes can be much different. How big is the problem of people getting the wrong care or paying these exorbitant prices or getting the right price? Oh, it's huge. I mean, they, you know, there's estimates, whether it's the Institute of Medicine or RAND or others, that, that 30 or 40% of all the medical services delivered in this country add little to no clinical value. So right out of the gate. And, and it's, you know, we talk about that and we talk about the healthcare industry, but another statistic is there are about 1,100 people a day that are dying from preventable medical errors. The, I mean, you know, if you go to the hospital and you're sick, bad things are going to happen. These are people that are dying for things that never ever should happen in hospitals. 
And we know that. And you think about that in the airline industry. If you had 1,100 people dying a day, that'd be two Boeing jets crashing. We would shut down the airline industry. We would demand that they engineer safety. But in healthcare, that happens every day. And it's been that way for 20 years. It was identified by the Institute of Medicine and actually LeapFrog, which actually measures hospital quality and patient safety, identified about 20 years ago that just, you know, a simple thing of hospitals putting in place a computer physician order system, which only it uses artificial intelligence to say, here's the patient, here are their conditions, here are the treatments that are being prescribed, mostly medications. It reduces mortality 40%, not a little bit. But today, only about 10% of hospitals have that equipment in place because it costs money and they have to invest. And that's like saying to Boeing or the airline industry, yeah, we know weather radar is really important, but it's too costly for you to put in the cockpit. So we're, we're just going to let you operate without it. And that it makes no sense to me. So it, it's a huge issue on quality. And going back to that 1,100 people that day, one out of every four Medicare patients or our seniors are harmed every year significantly by preventable medical error. So it is a huge issue on that front. The other issue it's a huge issue on is the cost side. And this goes back to the 70s, Huey Reinhardt, you know, he wrote an article saying it's the price is stupid. And what they've shown across the US, it is not a utilization problem. Utilization really has not increased dramatically. It is a price problem. The cost increases in healthcare unit prices have been going up two to three times CPI over time. And it's just unsustainable. I mean, the Wall Street Journal said 95% of wage stagnation in the 20 years has been caused by healthcare. Healthcare costs that it's just eating, it's 20% of the US budget right now. It's the largest industry in the country. How big is the financial burden to the consumer doing this? You were telling us before that you don't see this any other place. You would never just go into a new house and buy it without having any information about it. But that's basically people are walking in without any information about this and it's a hardship on them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think of going back to the grocery store analogy, I mean, the analogy would be, you know, a system at which you could go into the grocery store and you're encouraged to put anything you want into your shopping cart. You know, just, just pick the products you want on the shelf and we will send you a bill three or four months from now that outline what you owe us for that shopping adventure. But you don't need prices and you don't need quality information and you can just do this. That's what happens to us in healthcare. We go and we will, get, you, know, you think about using that analogy, consumer protection rights. If, if we're gonna buy a car, you, they, you have to sit down and they will disclose for you a $20,000 car. Here's what it's going to cost you. Here's the financing. Here's the payment mechanism. You and I can walk into a hospital and have a $500,000 bill. But more importantly, if you need an air flight now where they're not even part of networks, you can have a $50,000 ambulance flight bill that no one talked to you about. And there's no protection rights. They can, and, and right now, yes, the it is a crisis because the average American family has, if they have health insurance, if um, they have $5,000, $10,000 deductibles, but 70% of Americans have less than $1,000 in the bank. And part of the reason I'm so passionate about this, and, 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 it's, and it's the quality, and it's the cost, and it's the human impact side. I, I'll tell this story where my son several years ago, 
he was a typical teenager in college, suffered from depression. His primary care doc put him on an antidepressant, Wellbutin, one tablet a day. He was 19. The doctor then increased his dosage to three tablets a day, which is the maximum dosage. But one of the side effects of Wellbutin is it can cause seizures. And he was 19, he didn't think anything of it, didn't tell mom and dad. And the doc, because of HIPAA, didn't tell mom and dad. My son Seth suffered a major seizure and he ingested vomit. He, I got a call, he was at college, I got a call, arrived at the hospital. First question they asked me was, you know, if, if something happens, do you want us to revive them? And it's like, yeah. And he had the seizure, he had no brain activity. And I sat in a room with all the medical parts, you know, the brain guy, the liver guy, the kidney guy. And they said, hey, there's no brain activity. There was no hope to turn off life support. And I wasn't ready. In, in, that, in that culture of this hospital, I sat, they were all men. They were all the, the parts, the professionals. They allowed the intensive care nurse to be in the room in the conversation, but she wasn't, she told me afterwards, they, she wasn't allowed to speak. But when they told me to turn off life support, she coughed and she shook her head. And we decided not to. He is absolutely fine today. But for me, if I, so it was a comedy of medical errors where the prescribing was an issue. If I had followed the medical advice and the reason he was in, his had no brain activity. And this is a really weird part of the story. He had no brain activity is because they had given him so many drugs to counteract the seizures that it shut his brain down. And before turning off life support, he, you know, this is, he takes after his dad. I'm totally clueless about women. There was a, a girl that had a crush on him. He'd been in her room and, you know, he'd walked her back and he had the, the seizure overnight. The hospital made me call that girl cold because they thought, the only thing he had in his system was Tylenol. He had no alcohol, he had no drugs, but the hospital was convinced he had done drugs or something. Called her cold, she had no idea. She goes, I wanna come in and see him. At this point, he's on a ventilator, no brain activity, we just got in the news. I said, I don't know. But she insisted, she comes in, holds his hand, told him that she had a crush on him and his brainwave started back up. And I'm thinking, this wasn't medicine, this was, this was hormones. <laughs> And that changed my life. And it was just before Christmas and in his room, he was on dialysis for a while, but almost every doctor in that hospital came in and said, so you're the one, you're the. So that has made me really think we can and should do a whole lot better mm -hmm. for so many of us in the health that consume healthcare. Yeah, what a heartrending story that is, Peter. And, uh, thank you for sharing that with us. I can only imagine as you're recounting it years later, it must still be so hard. And unfortunately, I think it resonates with all of us because many of us have also experienced some significant issue with the healthcare system, an unfortunate event, an adverse event, or a near miss. Stephanie yeah. and I have talked about that before. So one yeah. question I have for you related to that, you mentioned earlier about getting second opinions. Yeah. Uh, did you get a second opinion during that encounter? Um, I, I'm always amazed at how many people go through something really complex. And when they come to me, probably the only thing I recommend to them is get a second opinion. And they are so hesitant at doing that because uh, they don't, they haven't thought about it or they don't want to offend their, their physician or they want to, they don't want to go out of state to get care. So maybe you can comment a little bit more about, you know, um, how uh, real is it for people to actually get second opinions? 
Yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. I, I, I highly, highly recommend to get a second opinion on complex care. In that case, yes, I did. I was very lucky. That, that was when I was still at that grocer we had at now. I had a really good relationship with their medical director. I called him. And I, you know, I was fortunate I could do that. And he said, no, wait. And, I, and actually the best advice I got, which is really strange, and I'm not religious at all. They had a clergy person in the hospital that came down and talked to us and said, don't make that decision. He'll make it for you. And that was the best. He said, he'll either get better or he won't. But and then secondly, I talked to the intensive care nurse that dealt with these types of things. And I said, what would you do? And she said, I have seen miracles happen. And she said, just give me some time. But I would, I would there are now in, in one of the silver linings of COVID is that virtual care and all these companies now that are doing telehealth and other things, Teladoc is one. Um, virtually now have second opinions that are built into the program. So it is no cost, it's available, you can call. And that statistic I gave earlier is the same statistic Teladoc will do. When people call and ask for second opinions, 40 or 50% of the time, they're making some type of recommendation different from what they've been told by their medical professionals. So absolutely, and I, and I still remember um, from Reader's Digest, which is not necessarily a well-respected medical journal per se, but they came out with advice for consumers on what they can do to be a good consumer. First and foremost was make anybody that comes into your hospital room use you know, sanitizer on their hands because 50% of docs don't do that between patients. And that's, that's, you know, that's been well-documented that a lot of docs don't do that between patients. And that's one of your major risks in the hospital is infections. Two, they said, you know, because if you're going through healthcare or a loved one is going through healthcare, have an advocate, have a trusted family friend that emotionally is more detached from what's going on, that is there to listen to everything, that is there to overlook the things that are going on. I've heard so many testimonials of people were there and said, why are you doing that? And it turned out that they were catching something that shouldn't have been done. And, and certainly get the second opinions. And, and you can, most, most employers now are utilizing these sort of telehealth services that can do that for you. You also said that the price transparency rules that have gone into place are not being well received by these hospitals. They're not interested in participating. So what now? What we're trying to do is how can we use the employer base? They really don't have a voice being represented around in Washington or legislative tables, all the entrenched stakeholders like health plans and health systems and medical professions have lobbies that are really there. They're very effective at promoting whatever is of interest to those groups. Employers really aren't that organized around healthcare. So that's what we're trying to do. But we're trying, our mission really is, we wanna find things that just doesn't cost shift to somebody else. We really wanna find things in our state that can really improve healthcare for everybody. And I'll use a great example of where we started. Um, I was on the board of LeapFrog, and as I said earlier, LeapFrog wanted to start measuring patient safety in hospitals. It was a very simple sort of survey. When we started this, this process where we were, Maine had some of the most unsafe hospitals in the country as rated by LeapFrog. We came together as purchasers, and we started to say in our state, 
we're going to start to create an incentive. We're going to waive deductibles and co-pays. If you go to the safer hospitals, we'll waive those costs. If you choose to go to the more unsafe hospitals, hoping that that would create a change. In a year's time, the state of Maine did that in their plan and we did it as if the NFTI was at. We went from less than half the hospitals reporting their patient safety to all of them because they were impacted by, they wanted to be on that list. Maine now, if you fast forward 15 years, has some of the safest hospitals in the country. So it really, we tried to float the boat for everybody. Everybody wins by that. Medicare patients, Medicaid patients, everybody in the state got the benefit of having safer hospitals available to them, whether it's urban or rural. We have looked at price variations for simple shoppable services, things like us baby boomers, a lot of us have arthritis, and one of the treatments for our arthritis is rheumatoid infusions. If you go to hospitals, we did this analysis in our state, 70% of the patients in Maine go to hospitals to get it done. It costs about twelve dollars to $15,000 per treatment in the hospitals. If you have it done in the physician's office, it's $4,000. And so what we've done is we've put something on a smartphone they can put in, I need a rheumatoid infusion or whatever it may be, an MRI, a CAT scan. And what will come up is it'll show you where the, the highest value providers are, both from quality and cost. And we will pay you to go to someplace else. So in the case of that, we will pay you. If you don't go to the hospital, you'll get a $500 check every time you don't go to the hospital, but you choose a more efficient provider. So Peter, it's it's really interesting what you're saying because as I'm thinking about my few decades in the industry, I feel that the providers have long hid behind the, it's not going to matter. The consumers uh, are really are not going to vote with their feet. Uh, right. you know, ultimately, no matter what the experience is, they're going to stick with us because of our branding or because their physician yeah. is here. Uh, quality doesn't really matter to them. They don't really know what quality is. Uh, price doesn't really matter to them. So are we now slowly or maybe even more than slowly kind of chipping away at all of these facades of uh, immunity that we think the providers have, have uh, held up as shields? Um, well, I mean, that, that is literally the million, if not billion dollar question you're asking. Um, we are slowly chipping away at that, but it's really, really difficult. And, and a really good example will be, you know, not to digress into policy decisions, but what's been happening across the country with the advent of Obamacare and the ACAs, there was, there was a prevailing wisdom that, gee, if we let these health systems consolidate and integrate and become a, a vertically integrated care system, we're going to deliver higher quality care and we're going to significantly reduce costs. I mean, the numbers flowed out there was $2,500 per year. What actually has happened is, and our, our state's a great example, 80% now of physicians are on salary to the health systems. And so they really have dominant market share. One of the health systems in Maine has a 60% market share. And so it is really difficult, you know, to, to break through that because what are your choices? If it's all integrated, it's all, and actually studies have shown since health systems have been able to merge and integrate, quality hasn't changed, access hasn't changed, but prices have gone up 22%. So when you create huge sort of market monopolies, oligopolies, whatever you call them, 
you know, it's really tough for the consumer to be able to change, break through that. And that's been sort of as transparency has moved toward the consumer. So you've given us so much great advice, but what is your one final message that you would tell people when they're going through these things and when something pops up or even just seeking a a care like a, a knee replacement? What is the one thing that people should know? You know, I think the fallacy or, or what's been drilled into our head, in, and again, we talked about it at the top of the hour, um, that all healthcare is the same, and it's not. And we all think, I thought, healthcare was this incredibly black and white science, that there's a right answer and wrong answer. And my learning is the more, if the more serious the condition the more you should really get multiple sources of information and make sure you really understand the pros and cons of things. There sometimes aren't magical fixes. I mean, a pill and a procedure aren't gonna fix everything. And a really good example I use that we're really interested in, right now, diabetes is run away in this country. I mean, it's 8% of the population, it's 40% of total cost. And getting back to the cost piece, you know, insulin that costs $3 a vial to manufacture, is retailing for three or $400 in the pharmacies. I mean, just, and so a lot of diabetics aren't even taking insulin. The average diabetic, it's $6,000 a year and it costs them out of their pocket for insulin. We've found a way through, there used to, the thought used to be that there's no cure for diabetes. You just manage it medically with drugs and other things. We have talked to three or four companies. We're really intrigued by this, that they claim 60% of diabetics can reverse their diabetes by just focusing on their diet, remove some of the sugars, remove some of the carbohydrates, focus much more on sort of plant-based, fruit-based, vegetables. That to me is, you know, there's not always, all these medications we take, all these procedures we take have risk and people need to understand that, that there are other pathways to health that that don't involve that in their choices. So it's really get educated. Talk to multiple professionals, healthcare professionals, get their opinion, have a trusted other advocate that can go with you. Those those would be my advice. And, And do your research. Which hospital door, if I had to say anything, which hospital door you walk into can make a huge difference. In some of the Southern states, when I talked earlier about hospitals being rated A to F, some of the Southern states don't have any rated hospitals that are A or B. So which hospital door you choose for procedures? And, and the other thing people don't realize, and they really should do their homework, and, and it, the study's well-documented, hospitals usually do three or four things really, really well. They have lines of things they really excel at, but their other lines of care can be pretty mediocre. So you want to make sure for your really complex things, hearts and cancers and those types of things that you're going to a hospital that do those things really, really well. That is so fascinating. So important. Thank you so much for being on here and sharing your story with us and sharing all these great tips. We really appreciated it. Well, thank you. And thank you for the opportunity. As you can tell, I'm a little passionate about all of this. So thank you for listening. Thank you so much, Peter. And thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.